because you're jumping back into the gut. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach's real treat today to have our first conversation uh, about coaching with anger. And we're very fortunate today to have Dr. Shamala Kiru with us, who is a mindset and relationship expert, TV personality, speaker, and uh, just great to have you here. Welcome to the podcast, Shamala. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, no stranger to the podcast. He was on episode 34 and tremendous share of the game. Zach Bobert, assistant coach at Army and the creative mind behind pickandpop.net uh, here as well to be able to discuss this very important topic. Welcome, Zach. Thank you so much, Chris. Thrilled to be here. Uh, love what you do for other coaches. It's made me a better coach. Um, and, and, you know, I'm hoping this conversation plays a role in that and, help, and helping helping coaches become better coaches and become better people. Well, I'm going to cue you in a second because you're the one that kind of uh, created the impetus before this conversation. Uh, basically, thanks again for both of you and your interest and willingness to participate in this podcast. I mean, it started with an email from Zach, and I'm very grateful, Zach, we've developed a friendship, and I'm very grateful that you shared this experience, this story with me that stimulated this when I replied back to you and I said, hey, I think this is a podcast. Do you think this is a podcast? And then, of course, we had to find an expert, and that's where Shamala comes in. And uh, I'll let Shamala quickly tell everyone a little bit about her expertise. Yeah, sure. So I've been in the field of mental health for almost the last two decades, about 17, 18 years, and have practiced primarily as a psychotherapist. Uh, my specialty is in working with people systemically. And what that means is whether I work uh, with an individual, or I work with a couple, or I work with a leadership team, what I get really interested in is the interplay between the relationships. And so that's why I think, Chris, when you reached out to me and we had that initial conversation about doing this episode, it was in really interesting to me. Um, and one of the areas that I have focused on probably in the last in the last decade is really looking at leadership from the perspective of emotional intelligence and how emotional intelligence impacts how we show up as leaders, how we interplay with our team, how we interplay with our colleagues, and just the impact that particular skills have on leadership. And one of those skills, and I, I know we're going to be talking about it today from a mindset perspective, is emotion regulation, right? How do we regulate our emotions or how do we not regulate our emotions and what gets in the way of all of that? And I think those are really important pieces, I think, in every landscape. Um, and I think I said this to you, Chris, I was pleasantly surprised by the email. And I believe you, you shared Zach's email with me in his words. And I think I, I shared that in my response to you, um, how impressed I was that the idea of emotion regulation, the idea of leading with integrity, the idea of actually having authentic impact with our teams is something that's coming to the forefront in sports. I think that is so important. Um, and I couldn't be more proud to be part of this conversation. 
Well, we're great, grateful to have you here. And uh, I'll let uh, Zach go into that email and uh, and talk about that. Because again, I, I, we're going to talk about vulnerability. We're going to talk about different things relative to that. But you're absolutely right, Shamla, that I think this is the time when I think coaches have really, really gotten into a little bit more introspection about how they do things. And is there a better way? And that's the constant question that I think we pose through this podcast is, is there a better way? Zach, why don't you cue us with the email? Yeah, that started it, it, this, all this. this story kind of started with one. It, it started, I'll go back even a little bit. And it, it's one of the most important exercises I do. And I'll actually say it's one of the least enjoyable exercises I do. Um, but I think it's incredibly powerful and it, it, it has helped my coaching. When you are done coaching a player, particularly someone you have respect for that you've built up a rapport with, ask them what it's like to be coached by you. And ask them exactly that. Ask them, what is, it, what is it like to be coached by me? What did you like? What didn't you like? What did I do well? What did I do poorly? And it's not going to be fun hearing all the responses. You're going to love the response of coach. I love how you brought passion to the gym. But there are going to be things. And if you have built up a respect and a trust with them, they will answer in ways that are going to be difficult for you to hear. And so this email that you keep referring to um, came about of I, I talked to one of our seniors and he was very open with me. And he said, coach, and he gave me a little bit of, he gave me, he gave me credit as he went and coach, you've improved on this, but so often early in your time, you coached with so much anger. Um, he's like, now I think you've gotten better with it. Um, but you coach with so much anger early in our time. And it's that converse, that comment hit me like a load of bricks. Um, because one reason was I ultimately knew what he was talking about. It's something that I think as coaches, we all feel. Um, and I think sometimes we'll say things and we wish we hadn't said them or we just know that feeling that arises in us. And we can we can literally, you know, in Shamal, I bet you can get into this, but like we feel emotions in different parts of our body. I can feel where shame and humiliation comes. I feel like I can feel it in my face. I can feel when I'm angry. I can feel it in my chest. I can feel anxiety in my stomach. So I literally feel these emotions. So when he said that, it really hit me. And uh, I have a unique opportunity here at Army West Point. I'm coaching people that will um, that will graduate and they'll commission as officers in the United, in the United States Army. And they're going to go on to lead hundreds of people. And my answer to his comment in, in, to his comment in that meeting wasn't substantial. And I thought about it for 36 hours. I followed up with him with an email and I actually sent it to all of our seniors saying, hey, Will asked a really good question and I wanted to provide this answer to you because I think it can help you in your careers. Um, I want to share this with Chris, Chris because Chris is a mentor of mine. I wanted to hear his thoughts on it. But also when Chris and I started talking, I said, you know what? Chris said, I think this would be a really good conversation for a lot of coaches to hear. And um, so that's how this conversation can be long-winded story. So for me, it's a great conversation because it describes me too. I, I can tell you how many times I left practices saying, I don't want to coach that way. And Shamala will get into this, but so much of it for me comes back to how we were coached mm -hmm. and how we were taught and how we were, in some cases, how we were raised and these different types of things that uh, were once acceptable. But now we know just there's a better way and we don't have to coach with anger to be able to lead and to be able to get people to follow. So Shamala, maybe first, let's start with the real basics. What is emotional intelligence and how mm -hmm. does that apply to us as coaches? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question. If you look at emotional intelligence, it's broken up into different areas, right? So one of the cornerstones of emotional intelligence is about self-regulation. So it's the ability to be aware of very similar to what Zach was saying, be aware of your own emotions. So Zach, when you say, you know, I feel shame in my face, my face probably gets hot, right? For most of us, when we feel ashamed, our face gets warm, it gets flushed, right? I feel anxiety, um, you know, whether it's, you know, in my chest or in my stomach. So that's, that's what we would call emotional awareness, you are very acutely aware of what your emotions feel like, perhaps what they mean, um, the physiological sensation. And then we really want to move to a place of I go from that emotional awareness for myself. And I also begin to understand how those emotions impact others, which is the second cornerstone of emotional intelligence, right? So the first cornerstone is our own ability to be aware of and regulate our emotions. And then the second cornerstone of emotional intelligence is having the ability to navigate our relationships from a place that is self-regulated. And the reason that is so important is because you know, when we are regulated, when our face is flushed with emotion, when we, our chest is tight, our stomach is in knots, when we're flooded with emotion, what happens is we move into a reactive stance, which I'm sure resonates, right? I, I, my guess is this is what causes um, coaches to say things that they regret, to do things that they regret, to coach in a way that they do not feel proud of. This happens, I believe, in any relationship, right? Um, I don't know how many of your listeners would be parents, but, you know, any parent I talk to will tell me, you know, when I'm in a reactive state, I make choices that don't align with how I want to show up in that role, right? When we're regulated, Instead of reacting, we can be responsive, which requires us to make a choice, to make a choice and to take responsibility for our own shit, for our own feelings that come up because they're, they're nobody's responsibility but our own. So let me, let me get into that deeper because reactive is the word, right, Zach? Yeah, 100%. So reactive to me is often, especially in coaching, is in defense of our egos, mm. in defense of something that we say should work, but it's not working. Either it's an individual or it's the team, and we know that this should work, and it's not working, so we react with frustration, we react with anger. Is that fair, Zach? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's um, it's a way of saying, like, I didn't teach you to do that. Like, it's a way mm. of, and my way of saying that is, um, if I'm in a game, me being mad is saying, I didn't teach him to do that to all the fans watching to the people that maybe came that know me and say, I, I didn't, I didn't teach him to do that. And then, you know, at times it's a way to, um, when you're frustrated that your players aren't doing exactly what you want them to be doing, it's saying, it's putting that anger on them saying, we don't work on that. That's not how we work on it. And it's just, it's a reaction to, to that. It's an unintentional blaming them. Right. Yeah. To, 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 to say, Hey, it's not us. It's not me as a coach. It's not us as coaches. It's the players. So Shamala, maybe you'd talk about that in terms of the reactivity. Yeah. Yeah. I like, and I want to jump off of your point. 
one of the players. And when you see them do, it's going to end up seeing it. You know, that human part of you ends up seeing it as a reflection on you, right? Any mistake they make, any play that they don't, you know, carry out as, as planned or whatever it is, you end up seeing it as truly a reflection on you as a leader, on you as a coach, on your ability. You know, if I was a better coach, perhaps they would be getting it. Right. So that anger, truly, there's a duality to it. And underneath that anger, if we think about anger, I often talk about anger, like, um, and frustration, for that matter, as uh, it's almost like a blanket that covers up other emotions that we don't want people to see. And I'm going to throw out a gender stereotype for a moment. I think men in particular, are taught that anger and frustration are perfectly reasonable emotions to express. I think men are taught. Yep. Go. No, I was just going to say, because that was a part of Zach's email where he, he referred back to, and, and I've heard this many times and read this many times primal. Yes. Like this goes back to our ancestors and this is a part of us, so to speak. So. Yeah, yeah. it is how it, it is. It continues to be how men are conditioned. I think we're doing better in our generation, but I think for the most part, men are still conditioned, are still raised and are still socialized to believe on a very, very visceral level that anger is a, not only an acceptable expression of emotion, but it is, it is the right way for me to express myself. It is the way I ought to express myself. Right. And if we think of anger actually as a secondary emotion, think of it that like that blanket, what lies underneath that blanket are primary emotions. And those primary emotions, you guys have already alluded to some of those, they're in defense of our ego. Right. So things like fear, anxiety, inferiority, inadequacy. That's what lies underneath that blanket of anger and frustration. And for the most part, people never have the opportunity to address those primary emotions. They never have an opportunity to process them. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the Welcome Back to Sports bonuses. BetOnline your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. So I want to take this in maybe just a quick pivot here because the the other thing that goes with this is the players. And here's, this is a study from the Journal of Applied uh, Psychology, which actually studied a whole bunch of halftime speeches of coaches. And it said anger was more effective than positivity when it comes to halftime speeches. And that that would be counter to what we're talking about here. But in a way, what I pose to you both is, well, players are used to this and players expect this. So if we're different than this, then it actually throws them off until they get used to it. And this cycle kind of constantly justifies us 
coaching with anger because players expect, and actually, if you ask a lot of players, they say, I want to be coached that way. Well, they want to be coached that way because they're used to coach that way. And I think this generation of players, Zach, if, if I may be wrong, is helping us break this cycle because they just know better. Is that fair to say, Zach? Uh, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I think this generation of players is more in tune with their emotions and they're more than the, than the generation of players that preceded them. So I agree with you hundred percent on that. So how do we address this with our players? Shamala might be a big question because I know one of my challenges and I would go in sometimes to my players and say, listen, I'm going to coach differently. This is going to seem different for you. And inevitably I found they weren't as receptive to me being this philosophical, which I really inherently am at the base. I'm a really philosophical person. I'm into Zen. I'm into this kind of, you know, let it happen versus make it happen. But then inevitably I resort back to, oh, they're not getting it. we got to get back to being tough and, you know, aggressive and all this stuff. So how do I change their mindsets as well? Love it. And I think what you're asking is a big question. It, it speaks to the system under which each player operates, the system under which each coach operates, and the culture that is inherent, right, in sports, I would say. I want to circle back, um, before I answer your question, to something you said um, from the study that you just cited, that it works. Coaching with anger works. And I would encourage all of us to think about the fact, the idea that just because something works doesn't mean it is effective. And in order to measure what is in fact effective, we need to be clear on what our overarching goals are. And if the only goal is to win or to get whatever X number of points, whatever, if that is the only goal in coaching, then perhaps anger is working. I don't know, right? But if the goal, and what I'm hearing from you, Zach, is that there is a cultural shift that is happening in sports today. There's a cultural shift with the players. There's a cultural shift and a mindset shift that's happening with coaches. Where perhaps we're beginning to redefine and expand those goals. And I think it is actually parallel to the shift that is happening in leadership on a much larger scale. I think in every uh, area of our lives, in every industry, we are beginning to hold ourselves to a greater degree of accountability. And I love that. And so to answer your question, uh, Chris, you know, how do we begin to make this shift? I think it starts with let's actually truly define our goals as a team. Let's define what my role is with you as a coach. It's not only to make you, I I think what I'm hearing you guys say, and correct me if I've got this wrong, it's not only to make you a better player, but maybe it's to to make you a better human. And in model, right. And in modeling that in our relationship, you can take what you've learned here, especially in your role, Zach, with the kind of, right. With, with the group you're working with, I would imagine that that's really important. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that's what that shift is dramatic. And that shift is, I agree with you in that it's in all, it's in all parts of leadership, it's in coaching, it's in business leadership, you're seeing a more empathetic uh, way of looking at it and asking, how does it feel to be led by me? How does it feel to be coached by me? There's also a certain point when you're talking about the effectiveness or whether it worked or not, you have to understand 
a motivation by fear, there is such a shelf life on that. So it might work for a certain period of time. Um, I know that there are damaging consequences that play that self out. If your main form of coaching and motivation is by fear and by which anger inspires and that, you know, and I think any, um, I think often a positive outcome of uh, anger fueled coaching would be um, motivation would, would be, would be motivate short-term motivation. So I don't know if that works in the long term. And I think as coaches start to understand what works in the long run, they, their, their mindset has shifted a little bit. And frankly, there might be a part of it too, where Chris, and this might get to it. Um, as people become more independent, as young people become more independent, they're more willing to say, these are my emotions, but also saying, they're more willing to one recognize their emotions. They're also more willing to say, I don't enjoy being coached like that. I do not want to be coached like that. And Hey, the negative side effect of that, Chris, perhaps is kids are more willing to transfer. They're more willing to say, I'm going to leave this situation and have agency to go find one. They like there's positives and negatives to that. But frankly, I think a kid's willingness to look at his emotions and look at and say, I don't like this situation to move. I mean, that is, you know, a positive thing. And I, we might be drifting off subject there a little bit, but I do think there's a part of that. So let, let me just talk. First of all, I, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of generalizations. Like when we generalize generations or we generalize things, and this is what happens with the transfer debate, Shamala, yeah. is that we, as coaches, I constantly hear it in the media. I hear it from coaches. They blame the kids. The kids are different. The kids are, you know, what's different? is we haven't adjusted often to the kids that we haven't adjusted with. It's just different. They're growing up differently than we grew up. They're growing up in a different paradigm completely. And if we don't adjust to that, then we're going to get lost behind. Now, again, Zach, we've talked about it. I believe most good coaches are going through this introspection and they're going through this process right now, which is where, again, someone like Shamala, your expertise is so important for us in this process and uh, maybe let's get into some of that. What are some strategies for us as coaches to help us regulate our emotions? Yeah, it's, it's, it's again, great question. One of the things I will say, and I will say this really for anyone that I am working with on emotional regulation, and I will say it is probably um, particularly important when it comes to something like coaching, because, you know, Zach, to your point, you know, when your face flushes and, and you get hot and you feel that shame. It's not just what's happening between yourself and your team member. It's also all the eyes on you, right? That's part of it. So one of the thing, one of the analogies I often use when I'm coaching, coaching leadership clients in a business setting is actually a sports analogy. I will often say, you know, emotional regulation is a skilled practice. Don't expect to be able to regulate your emotions in the heat of a game. Just like no athlete expects to be able to execute whatever skill is required to be competent at, their, at that sport in the heat of the game. All of the practice happens outside of the game all of the practice, right? So emotion regulation starts way before we're in the middle of a game way before it's, you know, Chris, you were talking about, you know, you, you like practices of Zen and this and that it's that sort of thing, right? It's, it's really looking at what are the daily practices that you are putting in place 
in order to regulate your emotions consistently so that when you're triggered, because you're going to be triggered, right? You're not going from zero to 10. You might be going from zero to five. And if you go from zero to five, you can probably catch yourself. But if you only ever practice in that moment, when you go from zero to 10, there is no way you're going to catch yourself. There's no way you're going to be able to down regulate because it happens so quickly. So to answer your question, Chris, I think the foundation is you, you, you don't just do it in the game. You have, you must, I believe as a leader today, have a daily practice of emotion that invites emotional awareness and that invites self-regulation. And you need to be practicing it in every relationship possible. Don't, don't save this practice for the game. Don't save this practice for your teammates. Don't save this practice for work, whatever work is, right? This is a practice you need to truly be practicing in every moment that you can. And that starts with the awareness that Zach, that Zach started our conversation with, right? I can feel shame here. I can feel anxiety there. I can feel you know fear over here. Great. Well, tune into that. Notice it. And remind yourself that you are the only person that is responsible for that emotion. Not your team member, not your partner, not your children, not your anybody. You are the only person that is responsible for that emotion. And it is your job to soothe, self-soothe that emotion. You don't put that on other people. Zach, it parallels skill development, as Shamala said, and it's something that you can develop. And that's probably the most important point that you're making here is number one, you have to be conscious of it. So the fact that Zach actually feels that this is wrong, he's conscious and he's aware of it. And then that leads to the next step, which is that it is changeable. Like this isn't something that is in nature. This is something you can nurture and develop. So Zach, how are we going to do that? Yeah, and that's a you know, I, I don't want to come across as I've figured this out, and I'm I'm here. Looking. None of us have. None of us have. Great, Chris. You know, I, I there's part of me that feels like Shamal's staring into my soul. There's another part of me that I'm laying on a couch, and Shamal's about to you know uh, try to fix my problems. But Shamal, is and like as you're talking, I'm thinking of uh, there's a great movie, Old School, where Will Ferrell's in the locker room and he's screaming, "You can't lose your cool out there!" As he's throwing stuff around the locker room and like. That plays itself out in every college basketball game in the country. Like the coach clearly losing his cool, yelling at the players, you can't lose your cool. So the question I have is, and maybe your response is that work has to come earlier, but I've taught something and it's not going well. The player isn't executing it. The team isn't executing it. Um, we, we put in a ball string coverage and it's not working. Um, my my primal response is to jump right to anger. What can I do? What practices can I, what, 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 what self-talk can I be giving or what practice? And your point's really good. It can't come during the game. What, what can I do on the front end where my response is to be analytical or my response is, you know, what is the best emotion? What is the face my team needs to see? What, what do I need to be thinking? You know, and what can help me with that to not go to the default response, that primal response? Yeah. And I love that you're naming them default and primal responses. I, again, think that is so critical to just understand and own that these are default and primal responses. So what you want to do is, number one, you want to identify the, the story that you are telling yourself when something goes wrong. I'm using air quotes, you know, like what's the story you're telling yourself when something goes wrong? 
Because what that, that, that story that you're telling yourself, Zach, is the primary narrative that you quite likely tell yourself, not only on the court, but also in life. And if I can expose the, what I feel and I, you know, this conversation's prompted me to think about some of the stuff, even just in the last 20 minutes, but also prior to get ready for this, the response I feel is I'm inferior. I'm not, right. good at my, I'm not good at my job. I'm not good enough to achieve the goals. I want to achieve my profession. I haven't properly equipped our team to execute what we need to do to win as many games as I'd like. And I feel a sense of inferiority with an understanding the guy next to me, when something goes wrong, he, it might not be in for inferiority for him. It might be something else. It might be insecurity for him, you know, but for me, it's I'm inferior. I'm not as good as I, as I think I am and everyone's going to find or ever as I purport to be and everyone's going to find out. So do you think so there's that, some imposter that, syndrome that, in there? Yeah, certainly, you know, you know, certainly. Yeah. Right. And that's what I hear. Right. That's what I hear when you say, and everyone's going to find out, by the way, that's a very common narrative telling you right now, you are not alone in that particular narrative, that idea that I'm not good enough. I'm inferior. I've slipped through the cracks and now everyone's going to find out right now. Everybody can see that I actually don't deserve to be here. So that I want you to get that because it goes back to the anger truly isn't really at the player. The anger is true. And it's not even anger. It's actually insecurity, which is masked with anger, right? So the, the number one thing you want to do is identify what is your particular trigger? What is your particular raw spot? What is that thing that you come up against when, quote unquote, something goes wrong on the court? So for you, if you know it's that feeling of I'm inferior, I know for me, uh, for it's somehow I've slipped through the cracks. So if I make a mistake, whether it's on stage or speed, whatever it is, it's, oh shit, I've slipped through the cracks. Like, and now everyone's going to know. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the Welcome Back to Sports bonuses. BetOnline your online wagering experts. Hey coaches, brief interruption from our podcast to hear from manscape.com. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing that you can control and that's shaving your bush. You may be surprised how many coaches have already DM me about this special offer. I wasn't because I'm a user and manscape.com is definitely worth it. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. 
In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Now back to the podcast. I imagine as you're saying this, this applies to your profession the same as ours, is that we're supposed to have the answers. Like it's the player's not supposed to have the answer. We're supposed to have the answer. And that's a part of what I try and talk to coaches about too, is about giving away some of that power to the players to be able to have this shared responsibility. Because really they're active participants in this process. And I too often in leadership of players, we treat them as, okay, we have the answer and you follow us rather than us being active participants. Absolutely. And I think what you're saying fits very much with the old paradigm of leadership across every industry. That was the paradigm of leadership. I'm the leader, you follow. I'm the boss, right? Like you're the employee. That was the paradigm. That paradigm has like shifted to this collaborative or shared responsibility. Yeah, Zach brought up power dynamics. So let's talk about that just quickly because coercive or reward oriented or legitimate power versus expert and referent power. So our goal as coaches and a leader should be to operate in this, we have an expertise, so they want to follow us because we have an expertise. And then referent power is we have this transformational ability, which is coming back to what you said about making sure the players understand we're not just there to help them become better players. We're there to help them become better people. And that's why they should follow us. Not just because we have a reward or punishment for them, not just because we're called coach. And what you're talking about, the type of leadership that you're talking about, the type of position and stance that you're talking about for coaches takes a lot more work than one that relies on the power differential and the power dynamic. It takes a lot. I think it is far less rewarding, right? Like it's far less rewarding to do anything from a place of I've got the power and I'm going to hang on to that, right? But when we all in anything, when we lead from a, a position of, I have the power, we also feel like we need to hang on to the power and we need to have all the answers and we can't get it wrong. And it's, it's not okay for us to make a mistake, right? Which goes back to what you were saying, Zach, around the, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm inferior. Like, you know, everyone's going to know, right? My colleagues, the other yeah. coach sitting on, like, they're going to know, yeah. right? It's that imposter syndrome. So what are some of those practical coping strategies? Like mm-hmm. We were getting to those, Shamala. What yeah. are some of those practical things? Breathing, self-talk, Zach mentioned. What are some of these things that work? Yeah, I love self-talk. I love breathing. Breathing's awesome. I have, I have a pretty strong opinion about self-talk. Self-talk can't simply be an affirmation that I give you. It can't. It's not going to work because you're not going to buy it. It's, it's like my affirmation, you know, I, I'm good enough or whatever it is. Your self-talk in that moment has to come from a place where it is challenging your negative self-talk. So if your negative self-talk is, I'm not good enough, I'm inferior, I'm an imposter, if I mess up, you know, it's the end of the world. If that's your negative self-talk, your self-talk in that moment, you want to couple it with your deep breathing but it has to be meaningful to you, Zach. Like it's, it's got to actually get at the root and at the core of that particular raw spot. And we all have raw spots, right? And the core and the crux of those raw spots is unique to each and every one of us, 
right? So for you, it's identifying where does that raw spot come from for me? Why is it that I actually believe that if I make a mistake, I'm an imposter? Why do I tell myself that? Why do I tell myself that every single time it happens? That's not an accident, right? That come, that, that goes back to, to an old template or an old pattern that you've learned, a, a way of thinking about yourself, right? So once you're super clear on that, then we can begin to develop a healthier self-talk that you can actually use in that moment that's going to stick. Here's the thing with self-talk. It doesn't stick right away. It doesn't stick right away. It takes, and experts vary on this, it takes anywhere between 62 to 90 days to rewire your brain to a new way of thinking. I don't know how old you are, Zach. I'm in my 40s, right? But for, you know, if I've had a particular, like a negative thought or a negative self-construct for 40 some odd years, I'm not going to change it overnight. It's going to take time for me to re because my brain is now wired to fire that way. So anytime I mistake, I make a mistake, my brain is wired to go, you're an imposter and everyone's going to see. you should feel ashamed. It, so, it's just going to, it's going to be like this. Go ahead. So just adding to that then. So the other part that goes with this self-talk, which you've talked about is to add a physical component. So what, what I've learned through the years and is there's got to be some type of parking or thought stopping strategy that you say to yourself, but it's also better when you have a visible demonstration. So some people used to fist and let go. I had a wedding ring that I used to turn on the bench or in practice. And as soon as I touched the ring, as soon as I felt anger, I touched the ring and I turned it and it gave me a cue to say, Hey, stop it. And it didn't always work. Don't get me wrong. It did not always work. But what I've learned through the sports psychology is that having a physical action with that helps you learn it. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. You know, and it, and it can be something like what you've described. For some people, it's an object, right? Like you said, your ring or just something that they touch that's a reminder. It's like yeah. a grounding object. That's the purpose of that object. Um, the other thing we can do also is breath. And you mentioned breath right, is become really, really aware of breath and make our breathing um, deep, right? Take those deep breaths because that physiologically slows down the dysregulation. It physiologically brings us uh, down, essentially. It down-regulates our physiology when we breathe deeply. I like to combine deep breathing, if you're going to use a physical object, with a new healthy thought, though. I like thought stopping. My only concern is if you only use thought stopping, you're going to fixate it. You're going to fixate on stop, like stop doing it, stop doing it, stop doing it. And I'm fixating on, on the thing that I want to stop doing rather than, you know, like I don't need to be perfect. My role as a coach is not tied up in my ability to be perfect. That's great. That's where you put the affirmation in that is again, it's not about the moment. It's about all the moments that helps teach you to change your behavior over time. And I love that. And can you also talk a little bit about it? there's individual differences in this too, like, like mental performance, sports psych mindset, all this different stuff. What applies to Zach doesn't apply to me necessarily as well. So you've got to go through some trial and error to figure out what works for you. Right. Yeah. And that's why I go back to, you know, please practice this well before the game practice this on a regular basis. You know, I, I said, you know, we all have raw spots. Each of our raw spots originates from a unique injury or set of injuries. 
right? We developed these ideas somewhere along the way, right? So yeah, you're absolutely right. While these are the principles that will help us sit down regulate, we have to do the work. And that's why I say this way of leadership, it's, it's hard work. It's not the easy road. It's not the easy way, right? Like it, it takes that, that time and that reflection, that introspection, even the question that you started with Zach, like asking your teammates, what is it like to be coached by me? Wow. That's, that's a hard question to ask. What is it like to be coached by me? I love that question. Right. Yeah. And, and like what I'm like, cause so what the perfect thing would be if, Chris and I asked this question and we, we had our pencils read and you said the three things you need to do is this. Here's your cell, here's your self-talk, here's your affirmation, here's your breathing exercise. And your point is one, you can't do that because ultimately it needs to come from me. And it needs to come from me because we all are broken people and broke in different ways and broken in, in different ways. And I think sometimes and make Chris, this might kind of relate all the way back to the start is. The dangerous thing is the role that we play in the title we have, your, your point's great, Chris, and that that can be enough it, it, at times, it, you know, until a kid finally says enough. But you can act like a, the biggest jerk in the world, and the majority of kids will take your coaching because of the title. And that's the dangerous thing. And frankly, that's why I think we've gotten into the slippery slope in a lot of ways. Um, but I think – the idea is what is the better way to do it? And the point is oftentimes it's broken people that are, have their faults and they're coaching people and they're putting, I'm imprinting my faults on these people and I'm imprinting them on it. And it inspired me to say, there's gotta be a better way. And, and, and that's the, that's the, frankly, that's the scary part of it because the way I'm coached, the way I coach, frankly, is a lot of the way I was, coached and even to go even psychoanalysis it's how i was raised or it's how a very important um maybe even a small moment in my life but something imprinted me on early in my life impacts how i deal with our backup shooting guard when he makes a when he when he doesn't make a rotation when he makes a rotation error in our ball screen coverage can i add can i add one more to that zach and that's how the media portrays us yeah like the the media through the years has portrayed coaches in a certain light, which has not helped us act differently because now a fan, an athletic director, you know, someone in the stands, their expectation of you at practice or in a game is completely different than probably the reality of how we want to coach and how we want to be. And that's another part of this that kind of piles on us in terms of that. So we've got to get beyond that. And if I could talk one one more point about then that's why where the disassociating behavior comes into play because you're saying your team makes an error and you're saying you want to make sure everyone in the stands knows that's not what I taught them and and there's a whole idea of the media and in the in the people above you of saying I'm disassociating myself with that that's not me that's him and I'm gonna be uh, and how I'm gonna show that is I'm gonna be so mad and I'm gonna because that's not what we coach and that's the slippery slope and that's you know, that's essentially what, that's what we're trying to fix right here. So Shamla, this comes back to, I assume vulnerability, right? Like how do we become, how do we become better at being vulnerable Mm -hmm. that we're okay with being human? Mm -hmm. Love that. And I I love the insight you guys are showing in, uh, in terms of what 
what's happening in the moment because it really is complex and it's far bigger than what's happening between a coach and a player. It is so much bigger than that. Um, I think right in that moment, you know, one of the things, if I could add also to the strategy piece in answering your question, Chris, is one of the things I like to do and I encourage a lot of the people that I work with to do is, you know, when we are um, leading with value, like our personal values, when we lead with personal values, I think it is that so much easier to make choices in integrity, right? So let's say, for example, Zach, you've got a value around not just, you know, coaching a person to be you know, a better player, but I have a value around um, developing future leaders. Let's just say that's a value that you have, right? That in and of itself could be the type of self-talk that you want to be reminding yourself of strategically right in that moment. Because when you do that, what happens is you're taking yourself out of the spotlight in your own world, right? Like the reason we have such a hard time with vulnerability and the reason we um, get angry is because we've put ourselves at the center of our own lives, at the center of the world of what's happening and all eyes are on me and I've got to somehow shirk this responsibility, but if you're leading with val uh, with your own values and you value the development of others, which I think every leader ought to do, and you remind yourself of that in the moment, it can take you outside of your egocentric place, which will push you to say, "I need to, you know, I need to react in this way so that I can show everybody around me that this is not me. This is that person." Is that adopting a mental model to kind of view events through that prism of, you know, if this is something I hold value, you're viewing the world and the reality as it happens through that. And it's just important to view it from a intentional one, a one of uh, positivity, hopefully, and not that primal response of just, because of, what if, if you don't, am I right in the, and I know I'm right because I feel it of, if you don't do that, you're just going to default to what to, you know, these kind of these dark places even with it inside you. Yeah, because I think, you know, as human beings, we are naturally self-centered as human beings. You know, we are the main character in the play of our lives, right? Like it's just it's how we're wired. Right. So we actually have to. And as kids, we're wired that way. And that's normal, normative for kids. But at some point, we got to grow out of that. Yeah. Right. At some point, we got to grow out of that. We got to grow up and realize that we're not the center of every story. We're not the center of every game. We're not the center of every single play. Right. And if we can move from a self centered place to an other centered place, it is far easier not to fall into the trap of I'm an imposter because my team member just screwed up or did something that we didn't practice. Right. But if you are consistent, Constantly operating from a place of ego center or self center, right? It is almost impossible to move out of that. And that is, I think, probably the mental battle that happens, right? It's like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I just did it. It just happened because you're wrapped up in that ego centered place. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, a lot of questions from this. I mean, maybe the number one question for me then comes back to, is there a way for us to have this conversation with the players that are playing for us now? 
because the exit interview one is awesome and it gives us introspection, but really we want to impact the players now. And that's a really hard conversation because they're not willing to be vulnerable either because they think we'll hold it against them or something like that. So Shamal, how do you have these conversations that really brings out something that leads to change that helps us build the better relationship, the better communication to be able to coach the player better that we're coaching now? Yeah, love it. And I'm glad you're thinking in that way, because I think that is what needs to happen, right? If we're going to create cultural and systemic change, yes, it starts, um, you know, with coaches as leaders kind of having these sorts of conversations. Yeah, that's the starting place. But then we need to practice what we preach. And we need to actually hold ourselves accountable to the people that we're coaching. We need to hold ourselves accountable to our team members. And a really great way to do that is to invite them into that conversation by providing them with the context, just like, you know, you know, um, Chris, when you reached out to me to say, Hey, how about having this conversation? You gave me all the context. Here's the context. Here's the background for why this is important, right? That context, I believe is going to be important to your team members, Zach, right? Is to have that conversation and say, here is where I'm coming from. Here's where I've been as a human being and as a coach. And here's where I'm at today as a human being and as a coach. And I like the idea of having that conversation um, and naming and identifying. I'm having this conversation with you as a human being and as a coach, right? Because in that, you are immediately giving context to the fact that our relationship is not just a work relationship. It is not just coach to team member. It is also human to human. And from that perspective and from that place, I want to begin to shift some of the dynamics of coaching and invite them into that process with you, right? Some are going to, that might resonate for some, and for some, it won't necessarily resonate. I don't think that should shift your position. If you feel strongly about that position, and I think if you're ultimately coming from a place where it's your values that are leading it, not, you know, protocol from higher above or whatever it is, right? Like it's it's your internal compass that's leading that change that you're you're desiring, right? Yeah, go ahead. You're going to say something? No, and it relates to something, um, and it's a question, and often we ask the question of, I started this with, I think one level is how does it ask some question? How does it feel to be coached by me? But like the question, maybe that's the wrong question is maybe you should be thinking, and this is a little, as I'm saying is like, here's how I want it to feel to be coached by me. This is, you know, I want my players to say, Hey, no matter what coach wants to see me be better than I was the day before or coach wants to see me succeed, whatever it is. That should be my guide. And then, you know, in being upfront and saying, hey, guys, this is this is what, what I this is what I'm going for. I'm not perfect in this. I'm vulnerable enough to admit that there's going to be I'm going to have blind spots. I'm going to make mistakes just like you're going to throw the ball away. And there's things that, you know, skill wise, you can't do on the court. But to have that conversation, to put it out there and say, this is you know, this is what I'm aiming for. Um and to, for Chris, your point is then at, get his feedback of what he, you know, how he wants to be coached and, um, you know, and find some middle ground or just maybe it's not a middle ground, but just to be aware of the emotions that we each bring in. Because I think sometimes as coaches, one thing that I think is dangerous is we we act like that player was a blank canvas or he arrived on our doorstep and, you know, we were forming them out of clay where 
you know, for me, I'm coaching a kid. He is, you know, when someone's going to arrive here at West Point at 18 or 19 years old, he's been playing for some kids for 14, 15 years. So I need to respect that he's coming with 15 years of playing experience and 19 years of life experience. And he's going to have emotions. He's going to have wants. He's going to have desires. He's going to have, you know, he's going to come with them with negative characteristics, but we need to respect that and honor that and take that into our coaching and understand where there's human beings. And maybe that sounds too com- kumbaya, but I, I think it's an, I think it's an important point. Well, Shamala's point is, I mean, human to human, that's the number yeah. one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like human to human, we're, co- we're humans coaching humans. And we, we, we need to say that to players more often and, and to, to frame it that way, that we are humans coaching humans. So I love that. And then the other part that you kind of said there, Zach, is this, is this concept of like, do we, ex, do we want to shape the player and the player into the player we want, or do we want to find a way to maximize the player the way they are within what we feel is best for the team? And, and that comes back to, again, like how you coach your team, like you're going to put them all in this square peg, or are you going to use all these different types of pegs to be able to figure out how to create the best team? Because we know individually, everyone's unique and different in personality. I think they're the same in skill. They're the same in style of play. They're the same in all these things. So the best coaches will find that adaptability within rather than just putting them all into one way. Shama, I have a question. I will maybe I'm putting you on the mm-hmm. spot here, but that's okay. Um, what are the people doing? And maybe to be honest, maybe your answer is going to be filled with the stuff we've talked about for the last 55 minutes. But what are, what are the people that the coaches that are just joyful, or even the leaders that, that are joyful? And we know it when we see it, you know. And, and Chris, I'm thinking of like Lenny Acuff, and thinking of like the joyfulness in which he. What what have those people? figured out what, what what are they doing what have they figured out to arrive at that joyful nature maybe joyful is not the word you would use but when I think of that like uh, like the opposite of me coaching with anger is that is that coach who can moderate mog, you know moderate his regulations and, and is regulating uh, his, his emotions I'm sorry and, and he's coaching with just a joy what have they figured out that maybe I haven't so, so let me just say I left my 14 years at Windsor and the number one reflection introspection I had was I didn't show how much I loved coaching enough. Like I didn't show it to my players enough, how much I loved coaching. So I totally get it. That's powerful. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it, it, and I wonder um, if that is because it takes a, a, a great deal of vulnerability, I think to say like, you guys mean a lot to me, right? This Sport means a lot to me. This role is something I cherish. And I imagine most good ch- coaches feel that way, right? They, they cherish that role. Like it's, it is a strong part of your identity, right? These players give as much to you, if not more, as you give to them and shape you, you know, all of those sorts of things, right? But I wonder, you know, if, if part of it is that, there isn't, we haven't given ourselves permission and perhaps this, this culture hasn't given us permission to have that level of vulnerability with one another. I think that's one piece of it. To your point, Zach, around, you know, what is it that these other people are doing? If we look at the, the mindset habits of people that are truly filled with contentment or joy, we know there's a few things that they practice. We know that they practice gratitude which is kind of what we just touched on briefly there, 
there, Chris, right? It's like, you know, it sounds like you, you have a sense of gratitude as you look back and you think about your coaching career. How often Absolutely. do we express that gratitude in the moment? Can I just qualify one thing? I think what we're talking about is demonstrated joy. Right. Like Zach enjoys every minute, even if he's a grumpy bastard. Right. But he doesn't demonstrate it. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Yeah. So that's awesome. So gratitude. Keep going. Sean. Right. Gratitude is one of them. The other thing I think that is absolutely critical to truly finding contentment in life, um, joy in what you do, whatever your your, you know, professional landscape is, um, is something that's probably quite counterintuitive to sports is uh, letting go of the outcome. I mean, the, the truth is we can't control outcomes, right? From a, from a psychological perspective, it is a total lie to tell yourself that you have control over an outcome. It's just not true. We can influence outcomes, right? But we can't control outcomes. And I think part of what robs us of joy, being grounded, being content, is trying to control outcomes. Can I just, can I add to that? Because here's Mm -hmm. one thing Mm -hmm. with motivation that I want you and coaches to think about is that that was a big piece for me when you talked about controlling outcomes and I talked about motivation and I always struggled with that. I'm, I'm not your motivation. And then I started to frame it as saying, you know what I do? I create an environment for you to be motivated. I am not your motivator. And and that's exactly what you're saying about giving I, I don't have control of your outcome but I can create an environment for it to be hopefully the best possible outcome. So I love that phrasing. Yeah. And what you're doing there is you're dialing in what your, your piece of the puzzle is, right? Like you're dialed in on what is it that I can influence? What is it that I have control over? Right. I, I get to show up the way I choose to show up every day. I get to bring the energy, the integrity, the enthusiasm, the human to human. Can I, that I have control over. I don't have control over what someone else does with all of that. This is true of any relationship. I can bring my best self. I have control over that. I do not have control over whether someone likes my best self, whether somebody that actually, you know, they respond to my best self, whether that motivates them. Like I don't have control over those things. And I think when we get too tied to outcomes and too tied to what other people are thinking, feeling, and doing, thinking, right? Like those are the three things we most worry about, what others are thinking, feeling, and doing. When we get stuck on those, um, those constructs, it's going to dysregulate us. Anyone, right? So I hope that, I hope that gives you a little more context, Zach, to your question, because I think it's a great question, right? Like what is the difference? Like what's, what's the magic pill that these, you know, people that look like they're content and joyous and, you know, what, what is it that they're swallowing? Let me summarize. So show more gratitude, which is, again, all happiness is connected back to gratitude. And I say this to kids all the time now, because obviously I've learned from people like you and my wife and all these different people that if I can just get young people to reflect on what they're grateful for, they depression, sadness, all these things are normal. We all have these emotions, but you can get out of them faster when you come back to gratitude and think about what you're grateful for. And then the other one you said, which I think is so powerful too, is to give up control of being the single determinant of outcome, right? I am not the single determinant outcome, but I can create an environment where that outcome can be better. Right. So you you influence outcomes. You don't control outcomes, right? Like that's the way I try to, I I can influence. I can't control. 
And if I could have one, the one that I'm going to be up tonight thinking and trying to answer it, what part of the puzzle am I accountable for? All right. I can't attach myself to the outcome, but what, what role do I have in this? And what can I, can I remove outcome from it? Can I, can I focus on what, what is my role within this? And it goes back to almost, you know, what it, am I leading with my values? And, and, and I think those two questions that you asked me, and I'm not going to act like I have that answer right now, but I think those two questions and I answer those two questions after deep inspection of myself will result in so that will allow me to start to view my role as a coach in each individual's life. And maybe it's might be slightly different for that individual to that individual because ultimately it's humans coaching humans. That's going to be one that really hits home with me, Chris, was, was how you, it was, it was Shyamalan, how you said that. Well, I love that. And I reflect again, I already shared the one piece about me wanting to demonstrate more joy as a coach and feeling that I left something on the table, but I also, in terms of that outcome that you talked about, Zach, feel like a, a huge positive for me would have been if my players demonstrated more joy of playing the game for me. Mm. So it went both ways. And those two things, I think, if I go back to coaching, would be those would be at the forefront of every every evaluation of every moment of practice at the end of it or at the end of a game would be, did we demonstrate any joy playing the game? Because again, like I, I just think I'm a better coach and I think my players are better if there's demonstrated joy. Now, it's not all easy. That's not to say it's all, as you said, kumbaya. It's not all these happy moments, but even the struggle should be enjoyable because mm-hmm. isn't that part of it that we persevere and we get beyond the struggle. We notice we got beyond the struggle and now there's that moment, hey, I did something I couldn't do before and that's joyful and that's part of this. I need to give you guys one more strategy to kind of hopefully pull all of this together. You know, one of the most powerful ways that we can remain um, connected to your piece of the puzzle, let's say that's your goal as a coach or our values is to make it visual. So what we know from a psychological perspective is that visuals, um, if we, if we create a visual that represents our goals or our values or whatever it is, and we actually look at that visual and we take it in, in a mindful way, like really like almost like meditate on that visual on a daily basis, we are 80% more likely to achieve that goal versus if we don't. Right. So if there is a visual way that you could capture Zach, you know, whatever your piece of the puzzle is, I like that. Or your, your goal as a coach or the value that you're going to bring as a human being to your team, if you can capture that as a visual and put that somewhere where you're going to commit to, to truly meditating on it and taking that in, take it in turn, like take it into your psyche on a daily basis. I truly believe that over time that is going to like take root for you. It's going to take root and it's going to show up in your actions. I can picture my wife, Jen's vision boards. So I can totally see what you're saying about this. And she always talked about manifestation and this, this concept of obviously staring and, and being in that space. So I totally can envision, envision this. And again, this isn't a typical sports thing, I would think, Zach. No. But it makes sense, whether it's just personally for you or for you know your team as a whole, this, this makes sense because it's a tangible thing to look at every day. Oh. Powerful. Mm-hmm. Such a cool concept. So uh, I want to circle back to just one thing, because I, I do think it's maybe something that I don't want to get lost, because I do think it's maybe the most powerful thing I've learned uh, from my wife, uh, Jen Oliver, who's a sex and intimacy coach. And I know Shamala, you guys know each other well in that space. And 
you said it and she said it to me and use the phrasing, the story I'm telling myself. Like this has become maybe one of the most important phrasings for me in dealing with other people because it constantly reminds me if I'm dealing with my athletic director, I can come back afterwards in a moment to be able to really think about what was talked about, whether I agreed or disagreed and I say, okay, here's the story I'm telling myself about what I thought they meant and what I thought they said. And then what I found from that and that phrasing is I've been able to go back to that person and say that exact terminology and have a better conversation to get clearer because I can go back to them and say, Hey, listen, the story I'm telling myself is this is what you're saying. And it's less confrontational than saying, Hey, you're saying this, right? And it's kind of that way to be able to communicate much more effectively. So I didn't want to skip that goal, Shyamalan. Yeah. And thank you for, for highlighting that. And I think what that goes back to it tied the story we tell ourselves in any given situation is tied to us focusing on uh, what we think other people are thinking, feeling, and doing. Right. It, it goes back to a focus on the external. It goes back to a focus on outcomes because we tell ourselves stories about what other people think about us or how other people feel about us. Those are the stories we tell ourselves and they're stories. Right. That's why it's such a, like, that's why we say the story. It, it's a story. And to me that I, and I learned that later in my coaching, but Zach, doesn't that make sense when you're talking to players, especially? Absolutely. I mean, I'll say it again. It feels like you guys are looking inside of me because there is this, if you can step back or move yourself, you know, one of you said, you know, we're all a, we're all the main character in, in the story of our life. If you step back and how you handle yourself is you're telling yourself a story. And if you can separate your judgments and the, the feelings and emotions you attach to it and actually what happened if and talking to a um, someone that works with Brad Stevens, they said that's what he does better than anything else is he label. He, he avoids labeling. He just speaks to what happened or didn't happen on the court and avoids these labels and these judgments and these large character assessments that we as coaches, Chris, and you're nodding your head as I'm saying this, like we all know it, you know, the kid isn't, the kid isn't a lazy, yeah. he isn't lazy. He just missed the box out. And these, these generalizations. generalize, yeah. And so if I brought that upon myself, I can paint, in the in you know this will how many times have we left the conversation or left an event or or whatever happened and we start to paint ourselves as the victim and, and that you know hey we got screwed we got and that's the story you're telling yourself and you've get and what you've done is you've removed accountability from it and you've been like oh that guy you know I I got I got wronged and you're telling yourself that story and it's you're telling the story as a victim and and if you can just understand that narrative and understanding the narrative you attach things and one avoid generalizations, but two, just be honest with yourself about the, the what actually happened. And then what is the judgments and the narratives that you've assigned to it? I'm going to jump on the generalization piece. I know that you guys have brought it up a couple of times, a trick to know that you are telling yourself a story is when you use generalizations always, never everything, nothing, right? Like nothing went well everything, you know, fell apart. I always mess it up. Or that kid always, anytime you use superlative language, like always, never, nothing, everything, those are generalizations. And 
99% of the time, that is an untrue story that you are telling yourself. Makes sense. Makes sense. As we wrap this up, I'll I'll leave both of you with some last thoughts uh, before we wrap this up, maybe. And uh, Zach, let's start with you just in terms of some last thoughts. And this isn't the end of the conversation in any means. And we know that we haven't solved anything but we've started that process. But uh, Zach, maybe leave us with some thoughts. It just, you know, and I thank both of you for helping me work through this because I don't also don't want to act like I figured this out. But this is an important one because, Chris, as I sent you that email, I think we both thought this was a, a feeling and emotion that you and I and all young coaches, and all coaches, I should, I should say, feel. And I think it's an important thing that we encounter every day in our coaching because we don't have all the answers. And so often when we don't have the answers and when it's not going well, we jump to this anger. And and that's why I was so pumped to do this conversation with you because I think um, I can get better in this hour, but also I think hopefully someone, all young coaches and coaches alike can hear this conversation and apply it to their own world. Cause I think it's something we all can improve on. So um, I appreciate both of you for making me better. And I, I hope, others can use this platform to, you know, better themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It, it added tremendous value to the conversation. So we obviously, we both thank you for your vulnerability and even bringing this up uh, in this way. And uh, Shomala, any last thoughts uh, for, for coaches or for people in general? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I, I, I'm experiencing the same sense of gratitude that I felt when I got that email from you, Chris. I think I asked you, who's this guy that wrote this email? It was you, Zach, obviously. Now I know that I know who this guy is, but but I would truly a sense of gratitude that, you know, in 2020, we've come this far, right? We've come to a place where we actually care about this stuff. We we're talking about this stuff that like and I can sense it just from, you know, this conversation that that we've had. And I know it's a podcast, but I've had the the pleasure of, you know, we're on video together. I can see that the importance and the value of leading with integrity and actually transforming people's lives runs very deep for each of you. And I think for me, um, I don't think you can go wrong when you lead with compassion and integrity and value. Tremendous, tremendous, huge part, uh, you know, of that is that, that part of this conversation. So I'm grateful for all of you. It's amazing. I, just the last thing I want to leave people with is in, in, in my years in coaching, so 17 years as a head coach, I can say I got better. I never got perfect at any of this. But I can say from, especially from my experience at Windsor, my 14 years there, if you asked a player from the first year to the 14th year, they would think that I was a different coach. And I got that feedback from players all the time, but I was never the coach that I truly wanted to be on the inside. And that is a process that takes a lot, a lot of time, but it's possible to get better. And I think that's the mindset of all of us as coaches uh, is just, I can get better. I can get better. And and that's huge. Um, Shamala, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Just for coaches, Shamala Kuro, uh, S-H-Y-A-M-A-L-A-K-I-R-U.com, where you can find out more information on her. And obviously I'll include all that in the show notes, but just in case you're listening and don't go to the show notes, that's how you find out more information. Cause uh, I, I encourage you to go check out what she does and she can be a big help to you personally or to 
your team, your program, your organization, whatever it may be in that way. And uh, I think most people know where to find you, Zach, but uh, pickandpop.net and uh, Zach Bovera on Twitter, obviously, just tremendous. So thank you both. And uh, we look forward to further conversations. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.